What's up, everybody? It's Richie Post America Podcast. Right now, we got a special edition, little piece, a little extra. We got Scott Vogel currently on the road. He's uh, on tour right now. Scott, break down his tour. Where you at? Who you got? Who you touring with? Uh, I'm uh, in our van right now, driving from Grand Rapids, Michigan to Columbus, Ohio. We're on tour with uh, Dying Fetus. Brand of sacrifice, and I'm gonna pronounce it wrong. Vitriol, that some a band that is something like vitriol, but I always say it wrong. So, kind of like a metal package, huh? Yeah, kind of like fucking completely. And how are you guys doing on that? You representing us right or what? It's fucking great. I love it. It's fucking great. The crowds are great. Uh, yeah, super fun. You know, I, I, it's funny because we were doing all these shows in a row and I'm joking around and keep saying I'm metalhead now. But then two, two or three days ago, we had a, a day off. So we played our own show in uh, Milwaukee with, you know, a bunch of MH Chaos and other bands. And it was fucking great. So I, I was back to hardcore just like that. That's right. <laughs> Shout out to MH Chaos with that new release. And uh, that's cool. That was a good show in Milwaukee. You, really, really good. And the promoter was uh, super cool. Everything's been really easy. There was a couple shows. Uh, like the second show on this tour was Nashville. That was a little bit smaller than I thought. And, you know, every show isn't fucking perfect, but it's been like 90% awesome. Can't complain. And uh, it, it's, it's, you know, it's all, you know, obviously I'm joking about saying I'm metalhead now or whatever, but it's it's nice to do something different. We tour so much, so to step outside the uh, same thing we do all the time. is fucking cool. And how are the guys holding up the rest of the band? Great. I keep also saying this is the best day of my life every day. You know me. I'm, I'm known to say the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over. So, uh, yeah, we're just, everything's good. The vibe's good. Uh, everyone's having fun. All right, Scotty. Appreciate it, buddy. And uh, That's it? Keep rep. What, what do you want? You want to say something? Talk a That's little bit. That's it? I wanted a tour yeah, I update. I know I'm bothering you. I could hear well, it in your voice. The, <laughs> the new Hot Water Music song came out today. So I hope you check that out. I did our check it out. Our Hot Water Music plan. I'll, I'll end this little mini interview with our Hot Water Music plan. Richie's such a nice guy that when we play in <clears throat> Reading, Pennsylvania, Hot Water in a couple days, Hot Water Music's in Lancaster. And he was going to take me right from our show to their show. But I think time-wise, it's not going to work out. But thank you very, very, very much for friendship. Damn, I was excited to check him out finally. Well, we'll see. Maybe something will change and we'll still go. All right. Well, in either case, I'll see you there. And if you need any products from the great fatherland, Twizzlers or, or, or whatever, Peeps, I don't know, pretzels, you just tell me and I'll bring it. That's how we operate. Okay, baby? Z Z9 t-shirt? A Z9 t-shirt? I'll try to get my hands on one. What's up? Give a give, big up Z9, baby. You liking it? You did. appreciate it? Rock just, and roll? I just did. Beautiful. My man. Good luck. All right, homie. I'll <laughs> talk to you soon. I'll see you in a couple days. Peace. Peace. This is the Post America Podcast. That's right, motherfucker. What the fuck you know about podcasting? This is our shit. Post America. Man.
What's up, everybody? Richie, we're back, Post America Podcast. Today we have a special guest. We had him on before a couple of occasions, but this time we're going to go into specifics, an era in New York hardcore that uh, I'm interested in. I know some people wrote in. They wanted to talk about this, so I got an expert on that and the great bass player, Craig Satari. What's up, Craig? What's up, Richie? How you doing? Thanks for having me. Of course, man. Of course. Now, today is, you know, we had you on before. We talk about crazy stuff. We go on and on. Yeah, we had wild. We had wild one sessions with rooms full of people on tour in Europe, all goofing around. It was fun. Yeah, yeah. But today I want to be specific. I want a history lesson for the people. And uh, I want to talk about an era in New York hardcore that was, as an outsider looking in, it appeared to be a changing of the guard so to speak, if you understand what I'm saying. You were a young guy in the mix with older guys of the the like kind of like the the first you were, you know, you were you came in and were mixed in with the guys from the first wave of New York hardcore, correct? Yeah, I, I call it like that what you call, I guess, the end of the the first wave. I mean, I, I'm there there were many waves before that, but uh yeah, I'd say the first wave ended in, in 84 and that's I came around like uh, summer of 84. You know, I went to my sort of my first shows in, in 84. So 84, that's like a little after victim and pain. Uh, right. I'm like a victim and pain kid. That's, that's what guys like us say. We're like, hey, we're victim and pain kids. So, so like, you yeah. know, I, I was listening to it for a few years before that, but I started venturing into shows in 84. So that's a great kind of uh, a landmark to go by. You're a victim and pain kid. Yeah, it's a way to put it. So. Younger guys in the scene when you come in beside yourself with any but any notable names we might recognize? Uh Todd Youth was was he's like the original kid, rest his soul, my friend. But uh Todd was the, the blueprint for a guy like me. I'm like the you know, Todd Todd was the guy, he was the, uh, the original kid. And you had guys like little Chris and all dudes like that. So uh yeah, I kind of followed in those footsteps, you know, those guys were uh you know, the guys that kind of laid that, that groundwork. So you had little Chris, bat, you had bat, my, bat, bat, might. What's that? Bat might. Another one Bat bat might. Yeah. He was uh, in war zone with Todd youth. Hey, so yo, he did was, you uh, have a nickname back then? Like these guys have names like youth and the, uh, well, Craig ahead. Yeah. But I mean, was that uh, Craig ahead a nickname back then? Did you already have that band? No, the straight ahead started at the end of 85. So uh, that name came one day. We played a show in like the spring of 80. Well, maybe it was 80 end of 85 spring of 86. We played a show and Tommy was goofing around between songs and he goes on bass Craig ahead. And he just laughed and we both laughed and it was like, he just said it. So it stuck. But uh, before that, they just called me the, you know, the kid, Hey kid, like Stigma used to call me a hey, kid. Hey, it's the kid. Yeah, you that's know, what I was kind of getting at, because the other guys had names that hinted that they were young in the scene. Yeah, yeah. I was just a kid. You know, I was like, you know, Todd was the kid. And then they called me the kid. because I was like the next, the new kid that came around. So how were, were the younger ones like yourself, Todd? How were they treated by these this like this first generation of hardcore? Oh, with the utmost respect. I mean, when I came in, um, so the way I came in, uh, you know, big Charlie Hankins, rest his soul. He was uh, uh, a guy from Queens. He went, he played on the football team with my brother, the Bayside High School football team. And they were both friends with Danny Wilker, who I've talked about a million times. He's sort of like the guy that introduced me to all kinds of uh, aggressive music and bass playing when I was like 10 years old. 
So uh, when I went to my first show, I went with Danny Lilker. He goes, we're going to go to a show finally. Because I was saying, let's go to a show. Let's go to a show. But I was a little kid. So I was a little wary of, of venturing into the city and going to the Lower East Side by myself. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, wanted to go, I wanted to go with some people. So we eventually went. And when we went, Big Charlie was there. Big Charlie, to describe him, was a six foot four brother who was 300 pounds of rock solid muscle he was the mm. nicest most loving human being you'd ever want to meet but when you looked at him he was a scary looking dude until you got to talk to him you realized he was a sweetheart but uh i walked in the door and he saw me he goes hey i was with danny he says hello to danny hey kid and he, he in, in between bands he pulls me into the center of the dance floor he goes everybody see this kid this kid's my friend and uh, everyone just was sort of like, yeah, cool. So when the next band played, uh, he put me on his shoulders and we did the chicken fights and I was accepted immediately. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah, it was a good, good, good intro. Good intro. So you have this relationship now. You're going you're going for a while. It's probably the same cast of characters for for a little while. When do you notice like the first kind of change in the uh, the, the scene, like the, the looks of the people, the ages? Uh, say that a, a new style when does that come into play the first hand the first bunch of shows i went to in 84 uh before the winter came turning into 85 it was all uh the whole place smelled like clove cigarettes uh it was basically punks and skins a lot of long trench coats boots no sneakers nobody that was like a metal type person which i pretty much was like a metal hardcore kid you know i like all that crossover stuff. I was into Sabbath, you know what I mean? So I was, I guess the first kid to come in that was like that. You know what I mean? Like I was like, I, I like Metallica. So I was kind of like, you know, I like hardcore as well. I was into discharge agnostic front, but like, you know, I originally came from rock and metal. Cause that's the rec. Those are the records my brother brought home. Mm -hmm. So I was like the first kid that I saw like myself. And then I would say that, uh, by the time the winter came, like around the turn of 84 to 85, I noticed a couple other kids from the boroughs coming in. Like pretty much Tommy Carroll I met almost right away, like a first handful of shows. So Tommy was the other kid like me, and I was like, we immediately started talking and became friends. We were like, yo, what's up? Between bands, because we were both dancing to a band. And uh, he was in a band, that Mayhem band, and... Uh, there were a couple other guys, Paul Catapano and a guy named Ron Carl. They uh, they were friends of Tommy's. So we were like, and they were from Queens. So we were like the the little handful of kids like, oh, yeah, we're going to these shows. Like it was like dangerous. We were like little kids from Queens that were into it. Mm -hmm. So uh, we kind of just all became friends. And uh, I'd say that that was the first other guys like me I saw. And that was like definitely a change because you had kids from the boroughs coming in. We were like the end of the first wave. Back then it was, you know, uh, Agnostic Front. The Chrome Eggs were, were kind of uh, just starting to play around, you know, play shows. And it was like, a, but it was all old school, hardcore and punk. But uh, Everybody at the show, the close cigarette smell was everywhere. So I'd say 85, turn of 85, by the spring of 85, You'd see kids with DRI shirts and long hair coming to shows. Now you mentioned Mayhem. You were in, in that band also, weren't you? Yeah. What happened was I met Tommy at the show and became friends with him. And he was like, Hey, I got this band come down to one of our rehearsals. We want to get rid of the bass player. 
he, his thing was like, yo, I just want to play hardcore. This band is like kind of like a crossover band. Why don't you come down, check it out and, you know, we'll see what happens. So I went down and I watched him rehearse. Uh, it was real fast and aggressive, uh, kind of, kind of like real dirty and noisy. And, uh, I guess they parted ways with their bass player and I started playing with them when we rewrote a bunch of songs. So that kind of turned, you know, mayhem turned into what it turned into when we started playing shows it was like a slightly different band. So there was a little transitional phase there of a few months, which back then seemed like years. Now and, you have, uh, that, that you eventually Tommy, became straight ahead, you know? Yeah. And you have Tommy Carroll. He's, he's fronting mayhem. And, uh, he's actually playing drums and singing. Oh, really? Mayhem was a three piece. So Gordon Ansis played That's guitar. Crazy. I never knew that. So yeah, it was a three piece. Yeah. It was Tommy on drums and vocals, Gordon on guitar. And then uh, me on bass before me, it was a guy named Tony Mark. And they were pretty much like almost like a death metal band, I guess. Did you find before. that a little odd playing live or no? Uh, it was a little weird, but you know, what happened was we wanted a front man and Tommy was like, I want to be the front man, but we, you know, we didn't work it out for a little while. So we played throughout 85. We did a, a bunch of shows in the tri-state area. And, uh, you know, uh, built up a following and played some good shows, played with the Psychos, among other bands, mental abuse a lot. And uh, so what we did was, you know, we wanted to get Tommy on vocals and get a different drummer. We tried out a few dudes and then Gordon quit because Gordon was like, he didn't want to go in the direction we were playing, like more like straight up, like hardcore. And he really didn't want to do that. He wanted to. Uh, he was had more metal roots, I guess. I mean, we all had this. We all liked everything. You know, there was no real distinction. But, uh, you know, I was I wanted to sound like Minor Threat. Gordon wanted to sound like, you know, whatever. So uh, we we got Rob. I had Rob. I'd been in a band called Smegma with Robert Cheveria and Richie and Cipriano, who played bass and uh, sick of it all. He was playing guitar. So I played in a band with those guys in like 83. And we never played any shows, but we used to rehearse all the time and write songs. So uh, I said to to Tommy, let's get Rob on guitar. He's a really good guitar player. And then I was telling Armand about that idea, who I had you know, known for a few years. I probably knew Armand from like 82 or 83, I guess. I said, hey, we, you know, we're going to get Tommy to sing. We need a drummer. And he said, I'll play drums. And I said, but you're not a drummer. You're a guitar player. He said, well, I always wanted to play drums and give me like a chance. So we did, and it worked out. The first time we straight ahead, and it turned into straight ahead. The first time straight ahead played CBs, Armand had only been playing drums for three weeks. And the only time he actually played drums was at like the three rehearsals we had before the show. So it was pretty, I was pretty impressed that he could pull, you know, he pulled it off. He's a confident guy, Armand. Uh, yeah, he's like multifaceted. You know what I mean? He's like a good, well-rounded uh, music guy. Now, listen, you mentioned Tommy Carroll, and uh, he has sort of like a reputation, like uh -huh. a, 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 an aura, like, you know, like like people don't really know him, but they know the name in, in modern yeah, times. Yeah, 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 yeah. So how did he, uh, was he uh, as wild as the reputation might be? Uh, like, you know. Tommy was like, a, yeah, he was, Tommy was a little bit of a wild guy. You know what I mean? He was a young kid. So he was like a wide-eyed Irish kid from uptown that like, you know, got into trouble and stuff. But he was a good-hearted guy. He's one of, my, one of my best friends in my life, you know. And uh, yeah, he's, he's a little bit, he's a little, he was, you know, he was like a wild kid. You know what I mean? A little, a little crazy, you know, like, he, you know, he he was unique. I was like a calming influence to him because I'm pretty mellow. You know what I mean? So how how was it like um, with the younger the younger guys like yourself and Tommy and whatnot? Was there any ever issues like you know with having a personality like Tommy in the mix? Any issues with the older 
guys from the scene? Uh, a little bit, like some some silly stuff happened. Like you know, we were like hardcore purists, but meanwhile, we were little kids that were just like, uh, you know, we were little kids discovering it. So we we had like a a, a juvenile mentality. So yeah, there was some beef. I mean, Tommy had like a problem with a, with a couple of guys and then he had a problem with Billy Milano, but it never turned into anything serious because ultimately we were all friends and we were just young kids. You know what I mean? So everyone understood that we were like the, the young kids coming in and that we were into it. And it was just a matter of a, you know, youthful enthusiasm. So nothing, nothing heavy ever happened. No, I'm a guy. But, I like to observe like the, the <laughs> social interactions and workings from scenes around the country. And sometimes uh, older guys in the scene aren't as, as understanding and, and accepting as how it seems. Now, back know, in the early in the early mid eighties, dudes were very accepting because it was one thing. And then these new kids came in and everyone was excited because people were coming to the shows and supporting. So it was yeah. like a big deal at that point. You know, when I first started going to shows, there'd be 50 people in a room, you know what I mean? And then I came in and then shortly after I came in a few months later, six months later, a lot of kids started coming down and a whole new fan base from the boroughs of like young kids that were into like, you know, metal and, and hardcore. It became this like it's spread away from just the like the street clove cigarette vibe. You know what I mean? Like kid begging for change kind of thing. Squatter. It turned into like a kids from high schools and, and stuff like that. And the boroughs were coming out. So it uh it really expanded. So these older dudes back then embraced it and uh when you think of these older guys being bitter, it's 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 at, that's later when they got older. Back then, everybody was very uh, very very uh, welcoming. You know, like the, the the whole the whole thing you're talking about with trouble. Like there was all kinds. Like Tommy used to get into fights. It's all kinds of little fight stories and stuff like that. But normally, that would be like the point where somebody gets accepted. They have a fight with Tommy or somebody else, and then they come they come back into the scene. And that was almost like they're welcoming into the scene because they were other misfits from a different area. You understand what I mean? Like almost it's a like, rite of passage. Yeah, like a like a misfit gathering, and they want to join the tribe. So the older, like the bigger gorilla, beats them up. You know what I mean? And then they like <laughs> come back, and it's like you know they like they you know they they become like you know they become t- <laughs> like you you know the Tommy Carroll fighting sob story. No, I never heard of it. Okay, so first first let me tell uh, let me tell the tommy carroll versus kirk hammett story oh i'll tell i'll I'll, I'll tell that first so we played uh actually we went to a show it was the crumb suckers at cb's and kirk hammett came with the guys from anthrax so he got up and played with the crumb suckers and tommy was pissed because he's like oh our scene's getting exposed we're like little kids you know what i mean so tommy has like a little scuffle with kirk hammett over that so billy uh milano outside like you know gives tommy like a, a talking to and they have like a little confrontation, but you know, it was like, like I'm saying, these older guys, Billy was like a grown man. Tommy so was Billy a kid. gives him a talker talking to as like an elder. Yeah. Kind of like, you know, you know, grabs him up and but what the hell are you doing? You know what I mean? Like, what do you want to kill the scene? And Tommy's like, fuck this rock star shit. So it was like little kid shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and so that's an example of like Tommy getting his like, you know, older gorilla kind of uh, uh, talking to 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 bring, you know, bring him into the fold, like, you know, like, hey, don't fuck things up. So then when Saab comes in a few years later, what happened was Saab and a, a couple of guys were at a show. And uh, I think somebody stole Arthur from Gorilla Biscuit's shirt. 
or like yeah, like stole his shirt. Like he had a shirt, he put it on the side of the stage. Somebody stole his shirt. I don't know who it was. It could have been Kevin Bulldoze. It could have been Saab. Maybe I'm confusing two stories, but but the way it worked out was, uh, you know, outside all those younger kids, the Brooklyn kids were coming around. This is probably 87, I guess, maybe 88, 87. And they're coming around and, uh, you know, they beefed with Arthur. Now, Arthur was like a guy from my era, like a er, original Queens kid coming in, you know? So everyone's like, yo, give him back his shirt. And Tommy jumps in and goes, anyone messes with this guy, blah, blah, blah. He gives all these young new kids a talking to like, you know, anybody got a problem, step up, I'll bust all your asses, you know, like that kind of thing, you know? So uh, nobody says anything. And Tommy walks away and Saab says under his breath, I'll fight you, <laughs> which is a ballsy move because Tommy was a dangerous guy. So, uh, so Tommy walks up to him and beats his, just beats his ass. You know what I mean? Drags him by his nostrils across the floor at the end of the beating. And uh, that's it. You know what I mean? And Saab takes a hard beating and I guess he goes home. And about three weeks later, he comes back and uh, walks up to Tommy and he goes, you know, I'm back and I'm going to be coming to shows and, you know, whatever, you know, however you feel about that, it doesn't matter. because I'm going to come here. And Tommy just, you know, shook his hand and they were friends because Tommy was like, okay, cool. So that's like, uh, the, you know, the rite of pass, the rite of passage. So that's like yeah, a little so kind story. of like what, um, what the guy did with Tommy back in the day, Tommy did around. There's a little, a little heftier version of it, a little heftier version because it was an actual fight, but yeah. So Tommy was like, you know, like one of those guys back then that was like sort of up in that mix. You know what I mean? Certain guys like me, I was never really getting into fights with people. That's not really my style. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, you're a peaceful lover. Yeah, I'm a friend. I make friends easy. I'm not like very confrontational with people, you know? Yeah, yeah. Tommy's reputation. You mentioned Billy Milano. He has this crazy reputation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even well, Tommy, Tommy boxed also. Like right after that, Tommy got into Tommy and I got into boxing at the same time. So Tommy got his hands really good. And you know, he was like, he was that was his thing, you know. So here you go. So now you mentioned Saab and some Brooklyn. Nick Nick YDL, Nick YDL, another was, guy. You know what I mean? Brother? Uh, he, he was very capable. He's another guy that got into boxing around the time of me and Tommy. So, but Nick was also like more of a, of a, uh, what's the word? I'm like an English guy. He would like talk shit. It's sarcasm, a lot of sarcasm. So, you know, you know what? I'm going to take you sideways a little bit. Cause I, I know where I'm trying to direct you, but I want to, you mentioned something to me once when we were walking around. I figure this is the stuff you're looking for, changing it a guard and all the little kid shit. Yeah, around. definitely. So I'm, definitely I'm, I'm, I'm giving you these kinds of stories just because it's like, you know, yeah, and I'm going to go in the direction of Saab and 87 and these other guys coming around. But first, I, I just it just crossed my mind again. We were walking around downtown not too long ago, and you mentioned how back in the day the Krishnas were the the tough guys down there. Yeah. And it, I never heard anything like that. What, what was up with that? So this is pre, uh, you know, the crews of younger kids that came in. This is like pre three-letter group. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's pre that kind of thing. So this was like the 85, 84, 84, 85, 86. Mm -hmm. So it's like pre, pre, uh, like a pre mad ball era, mm -hmm. I'd say is a good way to describe it. And uh, so, yeah, the, the Krishnas, they were like uh, all Cro-Mag friends and they were like martial arts guys. So that group was sort of like the, the, uh, the, the dangerous group within the scene. It was like a lot of guys from, from D.C., they were all martial arts guys. And uh, that whole crew was like, you know, 
dangerous. Like at one point they had like a, a big fight and the Krishna's like beat down some of the New York skins, like uh, Billy psycho got hurt. And this guy, Eugene got hit in the head with a brick and was like in a coma. So like an incident happened where these Krishna guys like really lumped up some old time skinhead guys really bad. Like, like this guy was in a coma. So, you know, they were, uh, they were, they were like the original tough yeah. guys from, from the mid eighties. You know what I mean? I never heard that before. That was, yeah, yeah. The, the Krishna, the Krishnas were like a, like a group, like a crew of dudes. And like, you didn't really want to mess with them. And they were all like older guys and like serious martial artists. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yo, you mentioned the uh, Psychos before, and then just again, the, what a great name! Like, per, perhaps like the best band name ever, the Psycho. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a, that's a great wow. name. Yeah, I love that. Show. That was Billy Billy Psycho on drums, Stu Psycho on vocals, and you had uh, no, excuse me, Stu was the uh, Stu was the guitar player. Yeah, they had Big Rob on vocals, and you know Stu what? was Stu was on vocals. Stu was the Hatchet Man of of Brooklyn. He oh. would take a hatchet and rob people in elevators. Oh wow! And then he went to jail for it was in the paper, like the Hatchet Man of Brooklyn, and it was it was Stu Psycho, the, the true Psycho. Well, I guess you know, I guess he was just yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he, maybe maybe he had some kind of substance issues for a little while. Yeah, there. could have been. But you, you ever hear that know. band, the Nihilistics? Yeah, yeah, the Nihilistics. I yes. just read an interview with that guy. He seemed like an insane person. Well, yeah, they were they were part of the scene. They kind of had their own little niche going on. Um, they were from Long Island, and they would play shows. You're very negative, kind of vibe you know they had their own thing going on you know yeah yeah it seemed like an outsider to the they were like sheer they were like sheer terror turned on 11 you know what i mean yeah but when you actually look at sheer terror and you read their lyrics it's not really as negative as 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 i thought and when i was a kid coming in i thought paul was the meanest scariest dude ever mm -hmm. meanwhile he's like an basically an intellectual when you really get down to it interesting now now let's go back to the the path that we're going down you mentioned Saab, the Brooklyn guys, younger guys starting to come around 87. This is what I'm I'm talking about because you would be a good witness to this. Uh -huh. And this is uh, what later on my generation would be really influenced by the bands that would come out of the, this, this next generation of hardcore kids from New York. When when did you start seeing that first? The like the the bands that might have the kids that might appear to be lost almost like they look like, Oh, these hip hop kids are like, what are they doing here? And then you realize, Oh, they know it's, this stuff and they like this stuff. Like it's a different almost, 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 pre, almost pre hip hop. You had these kids coming in in 87, like the summer and fall of 87, you had kids from Brooklyn coming in and they were kind of like, uh, like, uh, like young thug type kids. You know what I mean? And they, they, they were, uh, you know, they, like they, situations happened when they first came in, but they all were obviously, they became part of the scene, but it was like, you know, that, like, uh, you know, that elbow bumping elbows thing would happen, you know, bumping heads, however you want to word it. Mm. So I'd say 87, you saw guys like Saab, 88, maybe Saab and Kevin bulldoze come in minus. So, uh, you know, and, and, uh, and right around that time you, you had Hoya coming in, you know what I mean? Koya might have even come in a little before then because he was Dave, big Dave, rest his soul, Dave's brother. So I kind of knew of Hoya like I knew of Freddie, like before that era. Like I knew of those guys. I knew those guys a little bit like, yo, it's my little brother. He thinks he's a skinhead and he'd laugh. And he'd just sit there with his braces on. You'd be like, what's up, Hoya? And he's just like kind of like 
yeah, what's up? Like didn't really say much. Cause he's like a little kid. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, f- and obviously I knew Freddie from Roger from like 80, probably 84, 85. I knew Freddie from my, you know, almost first came around, you know? So uh, like that whole era, that was the next generation coming up and they were wild kids, man. They were into the music, but they, they, they were more like street kids. You know what I mean? Like we were all like kind of street kids in the sense that we were like broken home borough kids with no money. But uh, we weren't really criminals. I grew up with criminals, and I found hardcore to get away from that. These kids had more of the the criminal mentality. They were more in th- uh, more thrilled by the the you know being like tough. I guess is the word you would you would use, or that's just the environment they grew up in. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's it's a weird distinction though because that first wave of kids that came in that were influenced by that. They were like actual street kids. It's not like they were trying to imitate something they saw on TV. These were straight up street kids that were just being who they were. It's all the stuff that came out of that kids trying to emulate that and ruining their own scenes by trying to, trying to, you know, be tough. Meanwhile, like the original group of kids that came around, they were, they were troubled, broken home street kids. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. It was like natural and real to them. Yeah. And it seemed, uh, it seemed relatable to a lot of scenes across the country. I think the, and, and plus, I'm sure they they were fascinated, you know, in certain aspects. But then it was it was relatable. Because you know, I remember it is, thinking, uh, like the earlier stuff was so hard for me to get into, like the the earliest forms of when they would call it hardcore punk. Like, uh, yeah, I I know what you're saying. It's it's generational. You know, before that, it was still street kids, but the vibe was a little different. Believe me, that generation when I came in and it was the older guys. They were all, they were all like kind of same guys as me, but like my older brother's age. So the vibe was a little different. It wasn't really like gangster. It was more just like street. You know what I mean? Like the gangster rap thing happened a little later. That was like the, the generation after what I just described, but that's when it got, that's when it got kind of, it got kind of stupid and like, uh, you know, kind of, kind of dumb. You know what I mean? Now what, what, what uh, names, bands personnel who would be the uh like the forefathers of this next movement coming in in your opinion definitely freddie and hoya yeah uh minus sob guys like that they were like the the you know you had the brooklyn faction you had the the queens faction and and i just call freddie like he was like a I, i guess he was a les guy but he was sort of like Roger's brother. So he was sort of like very in the mix. You know what I'm saying? Like he was just like that little kid that would come around. So yeah, that's kind of like the, those guys would be the, the guys that I would, I would describe as that next generation coming in. Now, when we take like, I mean, out of, out of that, you get mad ball. So clearly you get some very important stuff happening at that time and people coming in that would, you know, shape where this is going carry the torch and represent it uh, very very well you know and and out of the older the oldest generation of guys that still are coming around how did they react to this new element the new look the the new uh imagery of, of this 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 particular group you, you know what it is all these kids all these kids that came in they were all good kid they were all cool dudes and they were into the music and their bands were good it's just the fighting didn't have to happen and all of us older dudes were sort of like yo you know like why are you ruining it we got this great thing you know but it was like this like extra like youthful testosterone was there 
And we would all let it out at the shows, dance into the bands, put it in the music, and they would do the same thing. But they just had a lot of they had a lot of street in them. You know what I'm saying? They were like 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 uh, wild street kids. You know what I'm saying? We were like wild street kids, but we weren't as violent. They were like there was a lot more violence. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's interesting because it's like, uh, was there like is this now? the time we're talking about is this now the most violent time in new york hardcore or was there no another high no I, w- I would say that 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 was like the the sort of like okay so you had these kids come in and they were street kids and they were borough kids they were tough kids and uh so those bands came up and their image was like tough you know what i mean they were like tough kids like i'm saying so what would happen is then gangster rap came up like around the 1989 1990 gangster rap became a thing and then every kid everywhere in america wanted to be the most narcissistic tough guy i don't care about the person standing next to me they they everyone went for that kind of thing you know what i'm saying that became the trend so you had these kids that were from like nice places and all that trying to imitate that so you go play a show in you know iowa and your show would be ruined by some stupid kid who listened to too much gangster rap and thought he was impressing the new york guys by acting like an asshole at a show you understand what i'm saying yeah so yeah. like it, it turned into a weird trend where every small town you play there was a crew of kids that wanted to be tough guys it was like some dumb follow the leader bullshit meanwhile these kids were influenced by these bands coming out of New York and places like that. Just like I was influenced by agnostic front, for example, but you know, the, uh, the vibe was, was, you know, a little more destructive because, you know, it was a little, I don't want to say it was more street. It was just a little more, uh, aggressive, violent, whatever word you want to use. Yeah. Maybe authentically criminally based. Yeah, there was more of a criminal mentality there. And that that's the next generation. You know what I'm saying? That's the yeah. generation that came up. You know what I'm but saying? What I'm, what I'm asking is, what was this the highest point of violence in New York hardcore? Or was the, there night, a previous the, time uh, a high point? Uh, there was violence before I came around, but it was never like uh, it, it, it was direct. It was direct. It seemed like it was directed. There'd, there'd be a beef. Guys would fight. Boston versus New York. All that type of stuff was sort of like, you know it got set off. It wasn't just there, you know, it wasn't like, Hey, I walk into a room, you walk into a room, everybody fights. You know what I'm saying? It was like something would happen to cause it. The whole gangster rap era was more just like, and I'm talking kind of outside of New York. Cause in New York, you know, the kids that were fighting in New York for the most part were kids that fought, <laughs> you know, like I got to be real about that. You know what I mean? It was like, like I keep saying it was kids that lived that life. You know what I'm saying? Mm. But uh, I'd say the the most violent era in in hardcore was the early '90s. Like once gangster rap became a thing, and everybody was trying to imitate and outdo each other with that trend that happened. New York kind of stayed the same with the the root people I'm talking about. They actually, if anything, kind of you know, as they matured, they chilled out a little bit and became more musically oriented and philosophically oriented. You know, yeah. But uh. It was all it, it, the gangster rap trend kind of messed up hardcore and it almost ended. And one of the only bands that, that was through that was sick of it all playing. And it was a tough time to play. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because think, because things were tough to, to, to keep going, you know? Well, well during that time you had like the bands, like uh, you mentioned Madball, Then of course, uh, 
you mentioned Kev, so you bulldoze, crown of thorns. Now all these guys are my all these guys are my friends since they were oh, little yeah, kids. Totally, totally, yeah. You know what I mean? I'm just like, you know, they were just wild kids. I'm we're getting a historical st- perspective. I'm giving you the hardcore. I'm giving you yeah. the truth, the skinny and, on the real deal, you know. And to me, New York hardcore is is barely mentioned when mentioned about hardcore early roots. It's like they they graze over it. And then this particular time is rarely ever given any legitimacy in my opinion even though it's yeah. easily the most influential like if i look at bands that are really big now like i know what these guys were listening to i know what they liked you know so i i'm trying to trying, trying to get a little perspective on that time you know i got you and uh crown of thorns is in the mix Marauder, oh great 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 yeah, band bulldoze madball uh we have uh a lot of stuff coming out of that that generation that's really good and and stylistically you know all over the place you know from crown of thorns to marauder you got you got totally different vibes here now uh, yeah i mean like i come from a i come from a broken home you know and the guys yeah. i came in with we, we come from this kind of thing but uh you know those the kids that that came after us they came from a similar situation but usually the water was much much deeper these these guys you're talking about, like they were like, you know, they're like my childhood was was was, you know, pretty rough. Some of these kids, believe me, their childhoods were like the fact that these guys are still alive. You know, they came from some rough fucking patches in their lives early on. And that that forms who you are to a degree. The fact that, you know, somebody like Freddie is as successful as he is and as positive as he is in this point of his life is an incredible success story. And I'll tell you that Freddie was loved as a boy, you know, it's not like he had terrible people around him, but he, you know, a guy like that, he, he, he had a tough upbringing, man. And, uh, you know, it's an incredible success story when you really break it down. And that's the spirit of New York hardcore in a nutshell. Yeah, yeah, certainly is, and as you know, and you have like, um, like you said, sick of it all lasted through this whole. It came, you know, from one side to the other, and saw saw the rise of the heat and the, and the fall. And did you guys have like any issues with these bands? Were you like, like intentionally kind of avoiding playing with some of the bands that would be considered trouble, uh, uh, just, just for the sake of the survival of the band? Because I remember at the time. This venue is going to get shut down. That venue is going to get shut down. This venue says these guys can't play here. Blah, 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 blah. All over the country, really, but especially in New York. Yeah, I wouldn't say we were avoiding playing with anybody, but you just knew that like stuff was going to pop off. So you tried to like make sure that things weren't, you know, too, too crazy. You couldn't have every show be a riot, even though that's what was happening back then. And then you can't play and then you're killing your own thing that you love and built. You know what I mean? Yeah, because Sick of It All goes through it with also, like, it maintains respect from those bands and also bands that are kind of openly criticizing those bands. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, you know, we're sort of in between. We're sort of the in-between band, you know? We're, like, first wave, but also part of that next wave. You know what I mean? We're sort of, like, right in between that whole thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, here's the thing. So the thing with Sick of It All, we never really went and judged people and like you can't do this you we just kind of look like do what you want and even when it was destructive it's like you know it is what it is you know what i mean it's every you know it's it's new york hardcore it's a group of misfits everybody's welcome 
don't destroy it. You gotta, you know, you can't burn it to the ground was pretty much our take, you know? So we wrote a fine line in a sense, you know what I mean? Yeah. And that was such a, a, a hot time for bands back then. Oh yeah. Know? Regardless of the violence, it was just bands were popping up all over compilations of completely new bands, you know, stuff on like bands, like I'm not even mentioning district nine and, and those oh, great band. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, and great vocalist to, to this day. I say one of my favorite to come out of the hardcore scene. Yeah. I'll tell you what, man, like at that time, stuff was just popping off. Like, like you're saying, it was just so much coming out so much good music. I mean, you listen to crown of thorns, like they're just a great band. You know what I mean? Like, so like cool. that, that train your blues like record is just like so good. Like those songs are so well-written. I mean, you know, it, you know, and then there were like lesser known bands at the time that had kind of that style, like Fahrenheit. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah. Fahrenheit's one. great. Oh, yeah. All kinds yeah. of stuff. Going Cold on. front back then. Yep. Yep. All kinds of stuff going on. I mean, you're you're pretty much that era. Yeah, that's my era. That's why I wanted to see because I always I watch all the stuff. I see people writing books and I see people mention, you know, my, of course, you know, minor threat, black flag, blah, blah, blah. And it kind of graze over the agnostic fronts. It really do. Get, it gets that gets me mad. And then this stuff is never even mentioned. And then when yeah, I look yeah, at yeah. real successful bands of today, like, you know, uh, bands out of Cal, bands like Immure that do great bands like, you know, the guy, you know, the guy from Attila, that band, you know, stuff I don't really listen to. Um, what's that band uh, out of uh, California that who knows? But all these bands, they were raised on this stuff. The Crown of Thorns the, stuff, Mad like all, stuff. All and it's not kids- even mentioned, you know? All these kids in in the bands that are the, the hardcore bands that are popular today, they a lot of times on tour, like before this whole, you know, lack of touring happened. A lot of these kids would like pull me aside, ask me about old AF records I played on. And they were like, they like knew every they knew more about this stuff than I do. And I played in the damn bands. So a lot of these kids are huge fans, like you're saying, and influenced by that mid 80s, later yes. 80s era. You know what I mean? 100 percent. But yet, like the, the, the media sources that take the time to write these books and stuff that they don't mention that stuff. Well, that early, that, that first wave is like, you know, you got to understand that that first wave is like where it popped off. So that's where it goes. And also like the New York stuff was a lot more dark. There was a lot more, you know, like those people weren't really safe in New York. So they kind of try to, I don't want to say they try to, they just kind of disregard it a little because it wasn't something that they could really claim or embrace because of the the danger involved with early new york it's a dangerous place a rough environment you know so it gets glazed over a little bit but on the street and what i mean by on the street is throughout the world i feel like the the wave of the new york hardcore uh situation has touched more people on a one-on-one basis you know uh around the world in europe than a lot of the stuff that gets a lot more of the spotlight for it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. hundred percent. It's more daily life. Like, you know, you get a Dutch kid, you get a kid over here, you know, South America, like South America, Southeast Asia, you go there and these kids are like, you know, I listened to your music growing up. I was dirt poor. It's, it's a, it's more relatable to the, to the individual and not quite as, you know, Hollywood story, you know? Yeah. And out of this, out of the, uh, the fact not safe bands, not not are, safe no totally it, it's and like i said early on especially this next batch of bands is just more relatable to middle and lower class kids around the country that don't you know they don't have spikes on their jacket 
Yeah, they're not wearing we, combat boots. You know, in New York, we were speaking to the the you know the eighties kids, the poor kids growing up with no father and no money, and you know we we were we were relating to that post seventies era of like you know semi hopelessness. You know, yeah, yeah, and you look what it would happen. People from people would be drawn to that. You get a you get a character like Toby moving to New York City to yeah because yeah he just, yeah he was so into it and. Then and he then would start think, a band from that from that generation, you yep. know. And then you get street kids whose lives were saved by this, you know. Completely. I mean, with that comes street, more street. But you know, like I was talking about earlier, but you know, that's the nature of the game, man. When you're reaching out like like that to to other people that are like you know lower class with no no uh, no lifeline, you're gonna get what you're gonna get, and you got to deal with. It. I always understood that concept. You know what I mean? Like yep. uh, it's a, it, it, it is what it is. You know what I mean? It's, it, it's never going to get lofty and, and, you know, and, and be this, this Disney thing. It just isn't that, you know what I mean? It's like real life. It's, it's, it's trials and tribulations. That's what New York hardcore is. You know? Now, if you're looking at these bands of that, that generation that came out and you're kind of, you, you have the perspective that you could look at these bands almost like a, you know they're they're younger than you, they're, and they're they're from the same scene. They're from the the same bloodline. Is is there any pride in certain bands? Certain bands that you're really that you're really uh you really liked, appreciated, respected in particular from that era? Babel, yeah, hands down. I mean, I, there's a lot of bands I respect from that era, but Mad Bull is the perfect example. He's spokesman for the scene. Uh, you know, at this point, elder statesman. You know, coming from 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 the agnostic front lineage, you know, and then you got a guy like Hoya jumping in that in that mix early on. It's just you know, it's a beautiful thing in my eyes. It's like you know, it's a it's, it's, it's a success story. You know, I mean, yeah. Freddie Freddie's my brother. I mean, I knew him when he was a little kid, and I was a little kid, and you know, from the agnostic front uh, 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 family. So you know, there's a lot of I have a lot of love. Yeah, over from your position, kid. you had you you know you have been you know, witnessing his whole development from what, 12 years old until. Yeah. Now. I mean, it was, it was touch and go for a while, man. He's a real success story. Got a great family. I mean, you know, I, you know, it makes me proud just to think of how he, how he came into being the man that he is. You know, I had him on the podcast uh, the last time he mentioned that he did that tour. I think the obituary tour when Roger was, had to drop off the tour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, "Wow, were these guys like pissed off that? Oh my God, this little kid is gonna take the, like this is a fucking wasted tour now." Like I just know like how I would be. I'd be like, "Wait a minute, Mad Joe, like what? Your little brother is doing this? Get the fuck out of here! We're all going home. We ain't yeah, doing yeah, that yeah. shit." That's how I would be. He's like, "Nah, they were really cool about it, and, like supportive." I was like, "What?" And I, that's I was surprised like that <laughs> was, there was no like. <laughs> Like I, I don't know, I'm just a dick, I guess. But no, like no, 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 no. Back then, like with Freddie, yeah. you know, we would we would all goof around with him and each other, mm -hmm. and there'd be a lot of shit talking and a lot of nonsense that would go on. But when it really came down to it, it was like, kid, you can do anything, kid, kid, you got it, kid, you got. It. Like we would really support each other. Stigma would always be like, ah, hey, you're gonna blow Roger away, kid. You young, you got hard. He would like, you know, he would like throw so much, so much love at him. It was, it was really uh you know, what are you going to do? You're out there. You got to do it. The kid, it's not like the kid doesn't know the kid fucking saturated in it from saturated in it from birth. You know what I mean? 
That's that's a wild position to be thrown into, though, isn't it? Yeah, he shook, but he, he shook. That's but like he a handled major it, you know tour I mean? of the time, too. That's like yeah, yeah. You know, kid, kids all heart. What do you want me to tell you? You know, that's that's really cool. And then you mentioned, I mean, stigma. yeah, and yeah. This, I mean, this guy I, seems to be like just a a supporter of, of everybody that passed through that New York scene. Oh yeah, when I first when I the first time I played CDs with that Mayhem band, mm-hmm. Vinny was at the show dancing and singing along, jumping on the pileups, and I was like. After the show, he's like, you were a great kid. One day you're going to be an agnostic front. You know, he was telling me that. He'd always tell me that. But that was like the first time he told me that. I said, how did you know the lyrics to sing along? He's like, oh, I like bought the demo like two weeks ago. So he, he like bought the demo for like three or five bucks or whatever it was. Tommy was like selling our demo. He like bought the demo, went home, listened to it and like came to the show and sang along. It was great. That's beautiful. Talk about a thrill. I was like, so like, wow, this is amazing. Like the Vinny Stigma likes my band and sang along the first time we played CBs. I couldn't believe it. And how old was Stigma at the time? You think? Uh, I was probably, maybe I was 15. So Stigma was probably uh, 28, maybe. So check it out. 28. And I, I just, the last 29. So he's like 29, almost 30. The last tour we did back uh, last February before stuff got shut down way back then, Agnostic Front was on a tour. And at his age, probably like 63, 62, he was stage diving the fucking guy. Yeah. I can't even believe it. I can't believe yeah, it. Oh, yeah. Oh, I would yeah. try that right now myself. Like I, I. No, I get hurt. Yeah. I get hurt. Yeah. Unbelievable, this guy. Yeah. I mean, you know, like uh, he's always a big supporter, man. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. I, I was listening to a Mike Judge interview, and Judge says how he just had nowhere to go one night, and it was late, and Stigma was like, you got school tomorrow? He's like, yeah. He's like, you sleeping here then? You sleeping here? Something like that, you know? Yeah, Benny would always look out, you know? Yeah. Yeah, Mike. Mike's an old, an old Mike. Mike started going to the shows probably 81, 82. Mike's an old, old school cat. He played in Death Before Dishonor with Mark Ryan. So, yeah, he's like another guy that came in when he was a little kid, you know? Yeah. Now, check this out. My purpose of this podcast was to give light and glory to that great era of New York hardcore and some also, you know, just some history to it, some context, some names, times, you know, the the attitude from the people who were already there. But since then, New York hardcore has almost as far as new bands out of the boroughs, out of the city, it almost is like an extinct thing we have the the survivors of course that's still the 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 endless survivors that everybody has the utmost respect for sick of it all AF, included AF, murphy murphy's law murphy's law who just played philadelphia last night these bands I mean, are the greatest the greatest yeah. live band of all time i mean jimmy's the greatest entertainer he's the greatest rock and roll entertainer of all time yeah in my and these, view these bands are the epitome they're you know and now mad ball in that mix but what happened that the the new bands all but stopped. There are like none in the city or the boroughs that I could really like there are very few. There's some I could think of, but what do you think happened? What bands are you talking about? Like what? Uh, they just, what, it just, uh, there's what, no new bands popping up in New York city and, and the boroughs and well, young, young kids presently that seem to be into hardcore out of those locations. Well, the last couple of years, things have been, you know, obviously nothing's been happening. So the last couple of years is going to be a low. But um, before yeah. that, you know, there, there were scenes sort of like punk rock scenes that didn't really 
fully associate with New York hardcore in a sense, but we're sort of like offshoots of it. So like Jimmy would always go to these shows and he would tell me about all these bands. Oh, this band's great. That band's great. So there were, there were like scenes that weren't really part of it, but were part of it. You know what I mean? <clears throat> so there was stuff going on. It's just not wrapped up in the traditional cloth of New York hardcore, you know, sort of like a turnstile comes from hardcore. They're part of the scene, but they kind of have their own offshoot going on that mingles. You understand what I mean? Yeah, I understand. But it, it, like the bands you're mentioning, the scenes you're mentioning in New York, they're almost like anti New York hardcore. Well, I don't like know they if they're almost, actually they almost do uh, to do a job to separate themselves from it for some reason. The ones that I noticed anyway, because I, I do know what you're talking about. There are like these underground shows, basement shows, more punky, crust rockish, but uh, they sound they sound pretty good at hardcore bands, but they almost do everything to act as if they aren't, you know, New York hardcore. And I think a lot of them involved are also implants from other areas and, and, and whatnot. And that's fine. But. It just seems like there's no new bands that are really flying the flag. Yeah, I guess. But also think about it like this. Think about uh, like, you know, when you were a kid and, you know, like I was part of New York hardcore, for example. I didn't want to be part of the crossover scene, even though I was into that. I wanted my own thing. I wanted to plant my own flag. Do you understand what I mean? It's yeah. probably that. It's probably that youthful. We got our thing. You had your thing. I don't want to join your thing. I want to be my thing you know what i mean it could be that i don't like that shit though eh, CPA, we got bands like payback you understand young uh -huh. cats that know pa hardcore this is the roots we remember no retreat we remember oh, wow. we remember these bands we show respect and i'd like to see that out of some young new york like there's definitely that element out of long island upstate yeah new there york, is yes, yes bands that are happy to be associated with new york hardcore not so much in the, Brooklyn, Manhattan. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, that's what, what I'm. That's what I'm talking about. Because listen, I, uh, Long Island has some dope bands. That band Incendiary. That's a oh yeah, Incendiary is good. Yeah, great. I'll tell you what. Another, you talk about people. I'm proud of. I'm proud of you and your band. Your band's come great, on, man. Craig, come on, man. What are you? Doing? I'm being real, man. You guys are like, you know, a band from a slightly different area that does their own thing yet is a part of it. Has the traditional elements, but has like you know. Uh, other elements it's it's like that's like the per that that's like the perfect way it should have went across the board like bands coming up doing their thing and more that's you guys have more of like an 80 a mid 80s vibe like you're part of it but you got your own thing you're traditional but you're individual you know like that direction to me is like the perfect thing where shows can have a little diversity everyone can kind of do their own thing under the greater banner of not even hardcore, just under the banner of like alternative underground music, you know? No, I got you. Yeah. I remember when we first started playing, we, we, uh, everything was so heavy at the time, the bands in our scene. And, uh, the only connections we had were to bands like that. So we were always like the wimpy sounded band on the bill. We didn't know. I know what you mean. Over. Yeah. More, but, more rock and rolly kind of more song, song crafting vibe. Yeah, yeah. And then eventually I saw bands getting more melodic and I was like, oh, uh -huh. you know, are we influencing anything about this? But then it, 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 presently it's like back to ultra heavy. Yeah, see, ultra heavy. I, I like some hard parts of music, but it has to be a song. You have to be able to craft a song, songwriter, a little musicianship. 
not like show off a musician, but just be able to craft a song and perform something that. Hundred percent. I like songs. You know? I like albums. I like the track list. It has to be laid out nice. Yeah, yeah. So the, the album is a ride, but that element is, you know, it's in mainstream music and hardcore followed. It turned into singles and you know, a couple songs here. Released. Now, 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 on that on that concept, when you go into that nineties, this is a little bit later, but like yeah. it, you know. Out of the out of the '90s street kids into the gangster rap era, which you know kind of messed things up uh, further out by the whole trend of it. You know what I mean? Like stupid kids in Midwest doing dumb stuff and ruining their own scene. You get bands that come like kind of at the tail end of that. You get bands like Earth Crisis, yeah, which are a band to respect. I mean, think about 100%. Earth Crisis. They did their thing. Think about. Uh, like a uh, snap case earth crisis these are bands that did their thing i mean think about earth crisis they stuck to their guns like i mean just philosophically and, and like you know they got their own thing but i mean that's like a band that like it's a hard it's a hardcore band i'm giving it the stamp of of new york hardcore that band is like did their thing spoke their piece stuck to their guns and you know, and and never wavered. I mean, never. That that's a good example of a later band that comes out and really just kind of holds the tradition down. Although with their own flavor, it's got all those elements of of uh, you know keeping it keeping it authentic. You know, you know. I had a couple uh, episodes before this one, but the last interview I had before this one was with Carl from Earth Crisis. Oh, he's a great guy, Carl. I tell anybody check that one out. This guy is so sincere and legitimate and thoughtful. If you ask him a question, he thinks how he's going to respond. You know, each word. Yeah, I need to take. I need to take a little extra page out of his book for that. <laughs> but yo, he's the real deal, and I was just like. The more, you know, I mean, the guy's legitimate and, and there's probably no other band in this heavy music scene, I'd say, that is more influential without not in the music category, but in the lifestyle category. Like they pushed that message. I know there was people before them that pushed veganism, animal rights, you know, all of that. But the way they pushed it and, and the people that they influenced who are now in positions of power, it's incredible. Oh, you know? big time, big time. That was a real serious movement. Yeah. That stood the test of time. Yeah. And they never sold out. You know, they ne what's, you know, usually the, these dedicated bands, we got bands like Bold and, you know, this and that, and, you know, and, you know, maybe they're kids at the time, maybe they're not. But guess what? So was Earth Crisis. Yeah, yeah. Change. I mean, you got like uh, Strife's another one. Like the minute they stop being a straight edge band, you know, whatever. Like just one of the guys, but still, it's it's you know. Listen, it, it I, I, I'm not trying to talk shit. I'm just saying they became men. They 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 tried things they missed out on. It's the way it goes. But like uh, when you get a band like Earth Crisis, that 30 years later is still sticking to what they said. You yeah. gotta you gotta ring the bell for them. You know what I'm saying? 100. And you said they try things they missed out on. I say they tried things they were smart to avoid in the first place. Yeah, you know, almost better to try. Up. Almost better to try it when you're a kid and get it out of the way, so you don't mess up your adult life. Almost better never to fucking try it. I hear you. I hear you. Listen, not straight edge is birth till death. Listen, I don't. I don't drink or do drugs, so I get you. But I experimented that when I was young and found it wasn't for me. You know, after trials and tribulations. But yeah, I hear you. 
No, nah, but like you know, you get, you get people that get into that stuff when they're in their thirties and forties. They mess up their adult life. Know, you mess with that when you were a kid. You get it out of the way, you know. Dummies. But check this out. We, you know, I wanted to go over that era. I appreciate it. Well, you absolutely. Just did a, you just did a run with Youth of Today. How'd that go? Oh, it was great, man. We played a couple shows. I got to hang out with my old friends. We had a real nice time, man. It was really good. Like, what was the distance between the your last show you played with them to the first show of this next run? The last show I played with them was probably the spring of 87. Oh, my God. Isn't that that's crazy? Pretty cra- that's, that's pretty crazy. Yeah, we had a lot of laughs. We had a really nice time. It was good. The spring of 87, and then the next time you play is the fa- the fall of 2021. Yeah, it's kind of crazy, right? Wow, that is. I, I tell you what, we like jammed and like boom within like a couple of songs that just sounded great. We had a real nice time, you know. Got to play that old school style. It was fun. Now listen, you got you got Sammy, the youth of today. You uh-huh. got Armand, legendary banger for sick of it all, and uh-huh. then you run with the real Crow Mags, not the snitch version, and you got Mackie. So you got three. Of the, the most well-respected drummers you're jamming out with. Any preferences? Do you have to change the way you play? How is it? Uh, as far as... Like, you're um, in the rhythm section. Do you got to change shit up for each guy? Oh, yeah. It, it varies a little bit. Okay, so, like, with Armand, everything's very uh, organized, very planned. It's very uh, locked in to a repeatable kind of uh, format. You know what I mean? metronome uh metro not really metronome in spots yeah but it's just very like okay like a like a building with steel girders it's reliable it's there it doesn't move with the wind much but it's gonna stand the test of time like armand's very very sturdy and reliable as a drummer you know rigid uh, well, rigid in a, <laughs> no, I'm, so, I'm in, trying in to a, give you words that could go either way, good or bad. I mean, com- compared to a Mackie, he's rigid, you know what I mean? But that's yeah. his style. His style is like lock it in and make it repeatable and have it, you know, be good to go. Okay. Uh, like, you know, like I, I gotta, I gotta choose how I say this because Armand is a very, very solid drummer. He's very good and he's very reliable and dependable. And for what, sick of it all does you couldn't ask for a better guy because he's giving you exactly what you want and a, a, a strong solid foundation for a band that you know it, it, you know is looking to create a powerful sound live and and you know like that he's just the guy for that so right there you got that like you know brick house steel girder dependability then you got uh you got like just recently playing with sammy I was trying to play locked in with Sammy and I realized right after the, like we played like two, two songs and it sounded a little stiff. And I was like, okay, listen, I said to Sammy, I go, I haven't played like that with somebody that plays this stuff like you in a while. And he's like, listen, I don't always play like this, but when I play this, I don't worry about any metronome. I don't worry about any of that. I just let it fly just throw it in the air and let it just fucking scatter. You know what I'm saying? He goes, you got to give it that old school. And I'm like, I'm on, I was right away on board with him. So when we played, it was, uh, I just, instead of trying to make the parts be organized, I just moved through the entire song. And once I just loosened up and didn't try to uh, make it sound better than it used to just let it sound like it used to, it sounded great. We were just killing it. You know what I'm saying? He, Sammy whips around the turns, you know, he'll go into the turn at 60. He'll come out at 70. 
You know what I'm saying? In a way where the whole thing sounds energetic, it has natural ups and downs, ebbs and flows. So it was really fun playing with him. It was like a throwback to the mid eighties. It was really nice. And uh, like with Mackie, you get like uh, kind of the best of both worlds. You get extreme solid playing that isn't, uh, it always has its own breathing. It's kind of, it's just, he just breathes according to that day, how he wants to play. He plays the slow stuff, kick back with a nice backbeat. He makes the turns really nice and, and stylish. And when the fast parts come, they got a little extra steam. So playing with Mackie is like uh, a higher level of bass playing I can do because he sets a, a table for me where I can do all the things with my right hand that I'm capable of doing because it, it you know, all possibilities are there. So Mac is really fun to play with because I can just really do what I do at a, at a full tilt when Mac is playing. Now, out of those three, who who is more obsessed with their their personal tone, their drums, their you know their gear, all that stuff? Armand. Armand. He has to have it all exactly a certain way. It has to be uh, repeatable, and you know he 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 has to be locked into what he does. So he's very uh, meticulous on how he wants things laid out. Mackie's like a more loose about it, but in a way that it's, uh, he, you know, he doesn't clip the ends. It's a way to put it. You know what I mean? No, he's real. He's real careful about how he sets up, how it sounds, but when he plays, he lets it fly. Now Led Zeppelin is in their prime. They need a drummer for a tour. Their only choices are out of those three, which one is best suited to jump in with Led Zeppelin in their prime? Mackie. Oh, Mackie, hands down, Mackie. Hands down, Mackie. Now, Black Sabbath, same situation. What of the three is best suited for Black Sabbath? Uh, Mackie. Jeez, the Mac on the attack, baby. I mean, I could see Armand doing Sabbath well, but he's a little too. He's a little too complete. He's a little too complete. You got to be real loose and sloppy to play with Sabbath. You know what I mean? Gotcha, gotcha. I could see Sammy doing that, but Sammy's a little bit of a racer. I, I didn't really play a lot of. The slow stuff, he's he's a little energetic for Sabbath. You need a guy that knows how to really I mean he knows how to pull back, but in the situation I was in, I didn't get to see him pull back because it's aggressive stuff. Yeah, he recorded an album with Limp Biscuit, didn't he? Yeah, he plays different styles. Just, you know, I played Youth of Today stuff with him. So wow. it was that, like, that you was, know, that must have been surreal playing with those guys after all those years. It was really fun, man. It sounded yeah. really good. It like came off, you know. I had to strip back my bass sound a little bit, go a little more just simple, old school. I was going to ask know? you how you would change the tone between the three bands. Would I the just Chromags and Sick of It All be the same tone? Not exactly. Kind of close, but uh, with the Chromags, it's a little more round, a little more warm, you know. Okay. So, so it's a little more of a of a fullness. Uh, where with Sick of It All, it's a little more uh a little more gritty and brash. You know what I mean? And with youth of today, it's more just like old school plug right in and play like, you know, like I had to strip off a lot of the the attack and the uh, stuff that makes my tone kind of pop. And, you know, a lot of the pick attack had to be pulled back. So it's not too gong, 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 gong. gong. You know, I had to get it to tuck in a little more. Yeah. I wish I could have saw, I saw a video of one of the uh, shows and I'll tell you, (laughs) 
I, I, I break the balls of the singer of Youth of Today a lot. And I don't really know why I do that, but uh, oh, he's a good guy, right? The guy's in good shape, man. The guy, oh yeah, he is all over the place. Like guys a yoga, guys a yoga master. Yeah, my issue is always the shelter thing. When you know, when I'm seeing shelter and, and youth of today in the same year, and it's almost like you know, you, you know what I'm talking about. It throws me off. Like one is like they're all in this costume and painted faces and you know incense, and the other one he's you know he looks like a a teenager from the JV team, you know, playing some football. I, I don't know. It just throws. Well, me. you know, youth of I'm today was when he was, a, when he was a kid and then he yeah. found uh Krishna consciousness. So he's I into get that. It, a like, why, not, why not just philosophically? Play. I'm, I'm like the kind of guy I would just, uh, if I did youth of today, I would still look like the Krishna, you know, I wouldn't put the Krishna costume on just for shelter. If I was, you know, that's that me, you know what I'm talking about, but maybe, I'm, uh, you know, I'm a bad I guy. just, I'm I bad just guy. think he's rolling. He's just rolling with his life. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, because honestly, if I was in a band and 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 we were making money and in the other band, I had to dress a certain way. Maybe I'd do it too. So I'm just listen. Your band could have been your band could have been the biggest thing in this the biggest band in this whole thing. I told you that many times. If you guys would have been a full time band, you would have been the biggest band in this whole thing. We do. Ah, you know, once the money started ah, you coming, in, we were like, you know, we don't we don't want to do this for money, man. It's just not our thing, man. You know. Yeah, I understand. So I kept on working, digging holes in concrete and. Yeah, yeah you had you had the new you had the New York you had the you had the New York hardcore curse. It was in you, even though you're a Pennsylvania guy. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, we set up the band in in a way of if one guy didn't want to do something, like I'm basically the the business guy of the band. I would give offers. If one guy said no, I didn't ask any questions. I don't try to talk anybody into anything. I just reply and tell the other people no. You know what I'm saying? It, it's kind of hard to make stuff pop off like that. It's because you know my attitude was always. You know, this show, yes. Yeah. We gotta take this. Yes. I just say yes to everything. Yeah. Because I realized in this, the only way to get to the top of the the the, the heap, so to speak, to be, you know, the most active and get the most done, you just gotta go. Go, 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 go. Just keep yeah. going. Don't I, even question it. Just go. I agree. And that's <laughs> how I was to it. I would be like, Yeah, I'll do it. But what do you guys want to do? If one guy and we had other guys in the band that were like that. Yes, yes, yes. Want to play this one show, California, fly out, drive the fly it back the next day, three o'clock. Yes. And then but we had other guys when they say no, I passed. Away, yeah, no. I understand. We're and sick then, of it all. It was always like, yes, yes, go. If you go, say go. no, you're fucking out. Yeah, we're sick of it all. It was just like 100 percent. Everybody just go, 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 go. No matter what happened around us. You know, this guy has an argument with that guy, this situation, that situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go, go, go. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Just keep it moving. Keep it moving. Yeah. Yeah. Touring so much with you guys. I saw the dynamic of uh, Sick of It All. And it, 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 at the end, it works. It works. You see that there's, 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 there's dysfunction throughout the day. But in the end of the thing, you still get yes. in the vehicle and go to the next city and play the next show. Yeah. So and, no matter and, what and kind of drama happens, regardless. Go. Yeah, exactly. Regardless of the drama, how's the product? that people just bought it's great the the live show is next you know nobody's close to it like a sick of it all live to trying know. trying yeah and uh so it was always on point there but uh that's yeah that's the way if you want to be a full-time band if you want to make a living in music yeah you got to commit we just didn't have that commitment in, in certain ways but that's all right luckily we had you know we were dug in and other what was, it, and, what was it the great the greek kid was it the greek kid was he the problem no, he's always down. He's always. Yeah, I'm, down. I'm, I'm just, I'm just trying to throw him in there. A lot know? of people, yeah, he, uh, you know, he uh, 
we just played a show in Salt Lake. We had booked before the pandemic uh, last weekend. Mavs great. And uh, yeah, it was fun. It was a lot of fun, but it was like booked a year and a half ago. And it finally went off just like, you know, it's such crazy times. Yeah. But, yeah. But he had a lot of, he had, he loves playing. He's a real musician. He, so. Oh, he's a real, you know, I have a lot of conversations with him about music theory and all that. And, uh, you know, when this whole, when this whole thing happened over the last two years where we weren't very busy uh, with our lives, I spent a lot of time working on music, uh, uh, understanding deeper layers of music and, and, and theoretical stuff. And uh, right at the very beginning of that, I, I already know my stuff, but I went to a, uh, you know, I, I took it to a whole deeper level. And Mab was one of the guys I turned to early on, like, okay, give me some ideas what to, what to dig into. And he gave me some nice ideas. And, uh, you know, so I dealt with him a lot. I've dealt with a lot of other people, uh, a friend of mine named Will, that I know from Albany, who's uh, like a, he's like, a, has a master's in music theory. He helps me with a lot of the deeper stuff now. Wow. And uh, yeah, he's a, he's a good dude. I know him from Steve Reddy. And uh, so what it really comes down to is, you know, like Mav's like a, a very good source for information. You know what I'm saying? He's not only a good dude and a great player, but he's like a, a source for a lot of information, you know? Yeah, and I don't think his playing comes naturally. Like some great guitar players have, like this natural. Just his is like all learning and and practice. he learned the he learned the math. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, he knows like these obscure scales and stuff that other people might not go to if they're you know. And he makes he gives uh, <laughs> our songs a personality. Here, I give him a riff, and then he does like a Chris put a little something on top of this part. And it's something nobody else would play there. It's, it's, it's yep, yep. different, you know, and it gives the whole thing. A, somebody once said, your stuff sounds like there's like keyboards behind it and stuff. I'm like, no. that's Mav. Yeah, that's Mav's uh, choice of, you know, he's going to do certain octaves or that reminds me I, a certain way. I got to give him a call and be like, I got to ask him like a musical question. Like, hey, what are they, you know, like, uh, you know, yeah, double diminished, double, double diminished so-and-so, you know, blah, blah, blah. he'll be like, what? He'll be like blown away. He'll be like, wow, you know that? I'll be yeah, like, yeah, I know well, it now. Because the last couple of years, that's all I've been doing is working on that piano theory and, you know, like, you know, music theory, really, which is no big deal. I mean, I could already play, you know what I mean? Yeah. All this all this does is just make me see the big picture uh, better. Like, I can play, like, different styles of music better now because I yeah. work on a lot of that. You know well, I mean? I'm glad you give Mav a chance because I always thought you hated him because <laughs> he's a doctor of archaeology and he shoots down your cockamamie uh, reasonings for alien building things on, on the, uh, on America and the fucking, I, I don't know what you're talking about. As far as aliens building things, I don't know what you're talking about. The only thing I'm going to say regarding that is Bigfoot is real and he's all over the place. Yeah. He and she Bigfoot's real. Bigfoot's all over the world. He sings for uh, wisdom and chains. Bigfoot. It's a, that's right. It's in, it's known, you know, the, 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 the controllers know that Bigfoot's out there. Uh, Bigfoot, <laughs> big, 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 yeah, yeah, that's for you. But uh, yeah, big, bigfoot's a reality, and uh, yeah, that's I like that. that. That's that'll make some people not think. Yeah, we're just gonna th we're just gonna throw that. We're just gonna throw that one out there. Just that's the one little taste I'll give you. Yeah, beautiful. All right, man, yo, I appreciate it. Your perspective into that era and some general convo, and uh, I'll see you. Listen, that 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 era, that era kind of kept it going, man. As as rocky as though some of those waves were. That era, you know, blasted off. That was the era like that birthed it getting big worldwide, you know? Yeah, completely. And that's no two the ways era about that, it. that would birth a band 
like Trapped Under Ice that would birth a band like Turnstile. Exactly. Exactly. And those guys are those are good bands. They 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 respect the history. You know what I'm saying? You got to love it, man. Hell yeah. It's a right, brother. I hope you right. think. Bl- always good to talk to you, my friend. And uh, I'll be in touch soon about that concrete job. No doubt. I'll talk to you soon. All right, brother. Later. Respect. Thanks a lot for listening. We really appreciate it. Post America podcast will always be there for you. Don't forget that. Tune in next time for more fun with the boys. Until then, get your fucking ass out of here before I give you a smack, motherfucker. Who the fuck is this you in? This is Post America. You ain't shit, motherfucker.